Hey, everybody, it's me, Josh, and for this week's SYSK Selects, I'm choosing uh, the episode on lab-grown meat. It first aired in December 2012, um, and it's good to check in on these things. We've made some progress in the field, true, but we still have a very long way to go before there's a lab-grown slab of meat in every pot in every house in America. So let's step it up, people. Uh, and also, keep an ear out for Gabor Forgax. Such an excellent name. It actually rivals Gancho Genev as the possible future name for my horse. Uh, enjoy. Welcome to Stuff You Should Know from HowStuffWorks.com. Hey, and welcome to the podcast. I'm Josh Clark. With me, as always, is Charles W. Chuck Bryant. And, um... This here is Stuff You Should Know, the podcast. Welcome. Bienvenue. Willkommen. What is that from? The producers? Oh, I don't know. Cabaret? Is that from something? Yeah. I think maybe Cabaret. I've never seen it. <laughs> I don't know. I just was saying welcome in different languages. Um, so you're feeling good right now? I'm feeling better now that we have gotten the condom podcast out of the way. I was a little bit uh, sweaty. Oh, yeah? During that one. Oh, really? Got me all worked up. Um, so now we can talk about lab-grown meat. What a great one-two punch. Jerry's just giggling. <laughs> we are talking lab-grown meat, man. Yeah. We're talking about possibly the future of humanity or what the future of humanity will eat. Um, and this has kind of been a big thing ever since 2001, which yeah. we'll get to in a second. But let's flash forward. By flashing back to 2008, when PETA, the People for the Ethical Treatment of Animals, mm -hmm. <clears throat> posted a $1 million reward to the first researcher that could come up with lab-grown, a.k.a. in vitro, mm -hmm. a.k.a. cultured meat yeah. that was commercially viable, meaning it was for sale in, within, in 10 states by June, uh, 20, June 30th, 2012. That didn't happen. Well, no, it didn't happen. Yeah. But PETA is very excited because they said in October 2012, the first taste test of in vitro hamburger took place. And I think we know who that was, don't we? Was that uh, the man? I believe it was, a guy named Gabor Forgax. Yeah, that's a funny name, but he is one of the leaders in the uh, lab-grown meat He's basically Industry. one of two. <laughs> yeah. There is a Bill Gates and a Steve Jobs in the in vitro meat game. Yeah. <laughs> and Gabor Forgax, I take it, is the Steve Jobs. Yeah, he's from the University of uh, Missouri, mm -hmm. and he's a tissue engineering specialist, and he has a company called Modern Meadows. Great name. It's, a, it's one of the better company names I've heard of in my life. Yeah, it really fits. It's not too clever. Mm -hmm. You know, I hate the ones that are too, like, nod and a winky, you know? Right. Like RoboCow? Yeah. Is that another one? No, I just made it up. Oh, see? That's awful. That's great. I channel my inner John Strickland. <laughs> That's very good. Um, this is, I just pictured Strickland like just sticking his head in the door and saying, RoboCow. <laughs> <laughs> um, so anyway, Modern Meadows is his company, and their aim is to get this stuff tasty enough and cheap enough to make it a viable solution for either people who want to eat meat but have reasons to not or to help solve the impending hunger crisis. Not impending. It's kind of already here. Right. Uh, and apparently 
it may not have been Forgax. It, it could have been. I don't know. But Forgax definitely did a taste test himself earlier in two, in 2011. Um, he went to a TED Med conference and talked about his synthetic meat and then ate some on stage, which is kind of weird because went, it's like, <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, it's kind of weird. It's like, I mean, I guess if you were like hawking hot dogs or something, you would eat them in public. Sure. So that's not that odd, as no, it no. seems at first blush. There's a little it sounds a little bit of a carnival barker uh, feel to that, well, though. They say that uh, every great scientist is one part B.F. Skinner, one part P.T. Barnum. Oh yeah. Well, that's what Principal Skinner said. Oh really? Yeah, on The Simpsons. Yeah, no. That's good. That's good saying, though. I like it. Yeah. Um, the other, the Bill Gates, or was that the Bill Gates? I think Forgax is Steve Jobs. Okay, so the Bill Gates is Marky Post. From Night Court, <laughs> right. from TV's Night Court, right? Oh no, Mark Post. Yeah, from uh, Maastricht University, um, which is in the Netherlands. Right. It's like these two universities get their researchers swapped. Seriously, Mark Post is in the Netherlands, and uh, Gabor yeah. Forgax is in the <laughs> University of Missouri. That's so weird. It is weird. Maybe they did an exchange program or something. <laughs> there you go. So uh, Post is a vascular uh, physiologist, and. He and they say that they're not competing. No, and if you look at their their stuff, they're coming up with two very different means to the same end. Okay, eventually, but who knows? Maybe they're friends. I would imagine that's a pretty small community, the synthetic meat community. Yeah, they're probably on each other's speed dial. I bet. Right, and there's supposedly only about thirty groups working on this right now. But yeah. what's what's mind boggling is just how much of an impact a breakthrough, a real breakthrough, and by breakthrough. It was like you were saying, Forgax said, like, you have to get it uh, cheap and you have to get it tasty. Mm -hmm. And then you have to get the public to eat it. Yeah. But how much of a real breakthrough that would be if someone were able to do that? It would be tremendous. Okay. And potentially solve a lot of problems that are impending. So this idea is not new, the idea of creating lab-grown meat. The Churchill thing? Yeah. (laughs) You don't think that's exactly what, what we're talking about? Oh, I guess so. Plus, it's Winston Churchill. He's like one of the coolest people of all time. That's true. In 1931, before he was a prime minister, Churchill uh, predicted that by 1981, quote, we shall escape the absurdity of growing a whole chicken in order to eat the breast or wing by growing these parts separately under a suitable medium. Right. And he was off roughly by 20 years. Not bad. No. And uh, he may have meant like mass produced, like we'd be doing that by then in 50 years. Yeah. Uh, in 2001, 20 years after his prediction, um, or the deadline of his prediction, um, a guy from um, Tuoro College? I've never heard of them. I don't know. New York Toro College. T-O-U-R-O. Never heard of it either. Uh, well, his name is uh, Morris Benjaminson. His dad's name is Benjamin. Uh, he uh, came up with this idea to take goldfish, goldfish muscle cut fresh out of a live goldfish. Yeah. Which is pretty bad for the goldfish. Sure. And then thrown into a vat of um, nutrient-rich fetal bovine serum, which is wow. I wonder why he used goldfish. That's what I don't get. Why didn't he use, like, tilapia or something someone might want to eat? I don't know. Uh. Maybe that was the only thing that was handy. <laughs> there was an office goldfish. <laughs> he brought it in in his little plastic bag. Yeah. Wow. And instead of eating it live for his fraternity prank, he grew some. More. He actually grew fourteen percent more. Yeah. Um, of what was what he put into this uh, fetal bovine serum, 
Yep, the cells divided. Yep, they he, they were alive, which is big, but the serum g- coaxed it into continuing to divide and, again, formed 14% more mass than was originally introduced. More mass? or Did you write this? No, this is uh, okay. Patrick Kiger. As Patrick puts it, 14% worth of additional flesh on the chunks. Yeah. <laughs> I like yours. I like mass better than flesh on the chunks. Flesh on the chunks is good. That's mass. a good band name. <laughs> yes, it is. So this guy has this bit, and he's like, holy cow, it worked. Let's eat it. So he tried to. He started to fry it up with uh, a bit of uh, lemon, olive oil, and garlic, and pepper, right? Yeah, makes great sense. And no one would eat it. I would have tried it. I would have, too. Actually, I don't know if I would have tried goldfish, if it would have been something else. The goldfish is still a big turnoff. So uh, his initial thought was this would be great for astronauts um, if they could eat goldfish <laughs> or, I guess, fake meat yeah. out in space. That was his original thought was astronaut use. Isn't that what everybody thinks whenever you think of something made in a lab that normally yeah. nature produces? It's like, oh, well, astronauts will go bonkers <laughs> for this. Yeah. Well, apparently uh, Benjamin said had the same idea, like you said. <clears throat> but uh, as news of this got out um, – PETA and other animal rights organizations were like, whoa, whoa, wait, what did you just do? Mm-hmm. We are full supporters of this idea. Yeah. Because, again, people for the ethical treatment of animals, the American Society for the Pre- Prevention of Cruelty to Animals. Sure. When you eat a steak, when you eat um, pork or bacon or ham, all these things come from an animal, it's often lovable animal. But people still like to eat them. People still get nutrients from them. So if you take the idea that an animal, a live sentient animal, suffered and died so that you could eat it and still eat it, man, that's like – that's the bonanza right there. It is. for At least for people who object to eating meat for out of uh, cruelty. And still want to eat meat. Object on the grounds of cruelty to right. eat, to eating meat. Yeah, I get it. Um, in 2008, though, in Norway, they had a conference, first time ever, on test tube meat. And they released a study saying, you know what? We could potentially manufacture this stuff for $5,000 a ton, uh, which would make it competitive on an economic basis with real meat. Yeah. Um, by 2012, which is right now, there are about 30 different research teams working on this. Right. But like we said, I get the feeling that Post and Igor, what was his name? Gabor. Gabor. Forgax. Forgax are definitely the leading edge. Um, and I did a little calculating here, Chuck, if, if you don't mind. Let's uh, hear it. I found how much it cost in Illinois in 2007 to raise a pound of beef. Okay. And it was something like 65 cents a pound, right? Which um, that's how much it cost to raise it. Right about now, it's about two eighty eight a pound for ground beef retail. Okay, that's like a markup of like four point five times. Roughly, Is that for, right for Chuck or for or are we just talking? I'm just okay. Yeah, gotcha. 
I'm just this is just rough back okay. of the envelope kind gotcha. of stuff. <laughs> um, if if you took that five thousand dollars a ton, a ton um, in vitro meat mm-hmm. uh, figure, and that's how much it cost to manufacture, and then also did that same four point five time markup, you come to about eleven dollars a pound, which is pretty competitive. Yeah, because I mean, think about it. You're paying that much for fillet, right? Uh, well, yeah. If this were marketed correctly, it would seem even cooler than fillet. Sure, and especially people, if it tasted good. Yeah, and people pay a lot of money for Kobe beef. Yeah, most times they're not even getting Kobe beef. You know about that whole thing, right? It's it's a big, a lot of times it's a big scam. I could see that because yeah. I mean, who knows? There's probably a handful of people in the world who could differentiate the taste of Kobe beef from other beef. Yeah, exactly. Even like really renowned restaurants are serving what they call Kobe beef for a lot of money. It's not Kobe beef. That is messed up. It is messed up. That's like a lobster. Lobster, the price of lobster is like in the basement right now. Yeah. And restaurants are still charging as much as ever for it and making tons of money. And But the lobstermen are just getting like the short end of the stick because there's a huge supply of them right now. Yeah, but isn't lobster one of those where they usually don't say market price on the menu? Isn't it usually like just straight up whatever? It'll, it'll say market price Some even if do. it does, and they're still charging you a bunch. Like what market price used to be when the price of lobster actually was high. I wonder if you could come in with some numbers and say, no, 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 that's not market price. Apparently, you can argue with just about anybody. Really? Yeah, and, and often win. Wow. You know, our buddy Julie was in Maine. She vacations in Maine some, and she said they're like, given her lobsters on her last trip. Yeah. Like, here's 20 lobsters. Like, we don't want them to go to waste. Right. Julie of uh, Stuff Blow Your Mind? No, Julie uh, Smith. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Our producer. Yeah. There you go. Of TV. <laughs> um, yeah, it's, it's because there's, like, a huge boom in the lobster population. Yeah, man, I love there. a lobster roll. Boy, we got really off track here. <laughs> All right. So, well, there's synthetic lobster. It's uh, actually cod, right? Oh, the, the, that stuff. Imitation crab meat? Yeah. That's not synthetic, though. Well, it's imitation. Yeah, imitation. <laughs> Big difference. All right. So, um, the Dutch team, uh, headed by Marky Post, they are using, uh, cow stem cells, uh, to create this meat. So they culture the stem cell, little petri dishes, uh, put it in a small container, um, to produce muscle cells. Sounds kind of gross. And they form little small pieces of muscle. About two centimeters long, centimeter wide, and a millimeter thick. And they say that it looks a little more like calamari mm-hmm. than any kind of a hamburger, and the taste initially is pretty bland. Right. And the reason the taste is bland is because it's missing a lot of essential ingredients to meat. Like blood? Blood, uh, fat. Yeah, blood veins. And it's not just muscle cells, but muscle fibers that you're eating. And do you know that it was only within the last like couple months that I realized meat steak is muscle mass yeah that you told me that you were shocked back then and i was like what'd you think it was i i hadn't really thought of it i thought it was its own thing like there's fat <laughs> muscle meat and then steak <laughs> yeah like that's really what i thought and then i i suddenly just i don't know why i was thinking about it i think i, was, I wanted a steak and so i was thinking about a steak and i thought too hard yeah and all of a sudden realized what a steak was right um but yeah, so it's but it's not just this muscle, it's muscle fibers, it's fat, it's blood, it's like all of this stuff comes yeah. together and they're gonna have to really lick that before they can make this stuff commercially viable. Absolutely. Um one of the ideas that Modern Meadow is using is to uh use a three D printer to spray what they call uh bio ink, 
<laughs> which is muscle cells and stuff like that to build up. You know, they like spray many layers of this stuff to build it up into like a more viable meat option. Which is pretty cool. 3D printers, pretty awesome. Did you hear about Japan's photo booth? Uh-uh. They, they're opening the world's first 3D printing photo booth. So you go in and you come out with like a little statue of you or you and your, your lady. Huh. and That's cool. nice, yeah. Yeah, I would do that. Oh, totally. What would that cost? I, w- I don't know, but I would guess a lot at you first. Sort of like in vitro meat. All right, so what are the other hurdles here? Um, it's tricky, like you said. It's it's a, a mix of fuel and salt and minerals and hormones. Mm-hmm. And this is just to grow the cells that are healthy enough to survive. Like that's not even talking about getting it to look like a steak or a hamburger patty. Because like you said, it's not just, you know, it's a very complex uh, group of stuff in there. Right. It's not just like muscle and that's it. And uh, it's extremely expensive right now. I think we, we kind of touched upon, but Mark Post said that his his hamburger, the first one that he would ever make, would cost about three hundred fifty grand. Yeah, but he's looking for a celebrity chef to cook it to kind of drum up business. <laughs> and uh, Gabor um, Fogax, right? That's his last name. Forgak. Forgak. Um, he was saying his modern meadow stuff would be between um, fifty seven and one hundred eighty bucks a pound. Right, which, like you said, is competitive with Kobe. Yeah, and and that's Forgax sees this as I he I don't think he sees it as like, hey, this is going to be the everyday solution. He sees it as a niche industry. Right. Um, he also said that his first product is more likely going to be leather mm-hmm. because it's not as regulated and it's a little easier to accept uh, as for the public at large. Um, he also was saying that as far as creating food goes, like. We, our imaginations immediately jump to building a steak, building a hamburger, yeah. building like a, a pork chop or something like that, right? <clears throat> he was saying probably the first stuff that we're going to see is going to be like flour. And he pointed out in this one CNN article we read, like, you don't eat flour, but right. flour is in like everything right. that you eat. Um, and he was saying like this will be stuff to create meatballs with right. or pate. It's like instead of taking a chicken and chopping it up and then using it in that pate, you would, you know, yeah. use it. Although More as an ingredient rather than, like, the steak on the plate. Exactly. Yeah. At least for now. Makes sense. Um, this could potentially be a great thing for many reasons, uh, one of which is, uh, not the least of which, is that lab-grown meat would have about 78 to 96% fewer greenhouse gases. Mm-hmm. Uh, 99% less land, obviously. Yeah. Uh, 82 to 96% less water. And 18% of the world's greenhouse emissions come from the livestock sector right but, now. And you know from what? Well, gas and. Yeah. And gas. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Two types of gas. Yeah. Like we have cow a big poop. methane problem yeah. from cow poop and gas. And then all the gas used to, you know, obviously take care of the industry. Petroleum, right. that is. Plus, it's also just a lot more energy efficient. We use 100 grams of grain to produce 15 grams of meat. That's a 15% efficiency. Because what are you doing, Chuck, when you, like, feed something something, right? Yeah. You take um, you take the energy found in a plant and feed it to an animal, so mm-hmm. it's energy transfer, but you lose 85% apparently. Yeah. They're thinking um, with lab-grown meat, the energy efficiency will be, like, 50%. That's awesome. Yeah. And uh, some of the other costs to grow a pound of beef, regular beef, 
necessitates 2,500 gallons of water, yep. 12 pounds of grain, 35 pounds of topsoil, and the equivalent uh, energy-wise of one gallon of gas. To grow a pound of meat. Just one pound of ground beef. Right. So you've got a lot of people abstaining from eating meat because of the animal cruelty aspect. Um, you have a lot of people saying it's just socially irresponsible to eat meat. Yeah. Um, and then you have people who, um, well, I guess that's it, right? That's the only reason people don't eat meat. Uh, yeah, or well, people like my wife who don't like the taste. Oh, okay. Well, this is not going to appeal to her at all, then. <laughs> right? No, no, no. Um, but you were saying like that these this the environmental or ecological consumption that it takes to create a pound of meat. Mm-hmm. Apparently, they think that meat production is going to have to um, double. Yeah. In the next forty years, because of increasing incomes around the world, typically when your GDP goes up, your consumption of meat goes through the roof, and China and India are on the way up. And they're thinking that meat is going to get in higher demand. Well, yeah, and there's help satisfy that. not enough land. Right. Like right now, I think it said 70% of dry land on the earth is used for either grazing or some factor of livestock. 70%. Right. So, like, what are you going to do? There's not that much more land left to just use for cattle. Well, what they would do is the, the price of meat would just go up and up and up. Yeah, it would just become more scarce, I guess. Yep. Until this, but as the price of meat rises, the um, economic sensibility of lab-grown meat yeah. will become more viable. Yeah, you know, true. Because I mean, right now, one of the things is so cost prohibitive. Aside from the fact that it looks like calamari and it tastes bland. <laughs> yeah, they said it potentially could be healthier too. Um, Jason Matheny, director of New Harvest, it's a nonprofit research org, and they said uh, that. It would have health advantages, like because um, it's easier to control pathogens mm-hmm. in a lab, and fat content could be systematically controlled, yeah. making it healthier. Like we're going to put this layer of fat in with our three D printer, because you need the fat. That's where the, a lot of the flavor comes from. Definitely, you got to have fat. And then you just got to convince people once it gets cheap enough and tasty enough. Like you said, the third hurdle is like eat fake meat, people. Right, <laughs> you'll like it. Trust me. I think the the big lesson is to not call it something like Soylent Green. Modern Meadows is perfect. Yeah. I wonder what uh, Post's, the name of his group is. I didn't see, did you? I don't know. I, I would taste this just, you know, if they, I wouldn't pay $300,000 for a hamburger. No. But um, I would taste it just to see what it tasted like. But I, I don't know. It sounds kind of gross to me. I would uh, I would try it. But a lot of people say that eating meat is gross. They sure do. So before you send in those emails, let me cut you off. I understand that. Good going, Chuck. If you want to learn more about lab-grown meat or any kind of things like that, you should check out the Innovations channel on How Stuff Works. It's pretty awesome. Um, go to How Stuff Works homepage, and you will see in the um, top navigation bar, Innovations is one of the channels that we have. Click on that. Or you can just search for lab-grown meat in the handy search bar at How Stuff Works. And I said handy search bar, which means it's time for listener mail. Josh, I'm going to call this a mentorship email. 
Um, hi guys, my name is Colin, and I've been listening to you guys since the biking episode. I've never really been diligent with emails, but I always wanted to write in. Uh, I'm in my senior year of high school and involved in a class called Independent Study Mentorship. This program works like an internship for high school students. Uh, we're responsible for finding a mentor in whichever career uh, field we are interested in. We do hands-on work with our mentors, and throughout the year we compile a portfolio that will eventually be a binder filled, not with women, but with everything we take part in and research throughout the year. Uh, it will end up about as thick as a good-sized dictionary or two. Uh, my whole reason for writing you guys is to thank you for doing the podcast. I've been able to get by without research for about a dozen or so topics for essays and projects because you guys usually cover far more than my school uh, curriculum does. Um, I've even been moved up to several advanced classes. Wow. Thanks to you. Uh, keep on doing what you're doing. It's great. And if I happen to get a mention at the end of an episode, I'd be pleasantly surprised. Ha ha. I've always kind of wanted a mention. There you go, Colin. That's all you need to do is ask. Yeah, where'd you go? Well, you have to ask and excel at school because of us. Yes, and he says, feel free to mention my name if you find this worth mentioning. And uh, yes, I did say y'all because I'm from Texas, and everyone from Texas is required to inform everyone else that they are from Texas. That's true. Is it? Oh, yeah. All right, well, Colin from Texas, good luck with your mentorship, buddy. And uh, I think it's in marketing, he said. And uh, drop us a line. Let us know how it went. Uh, that's awesome. Yeah. Uh, let's see. What do you want to ask for, Chuck? Oh, uh, would you eat in vitro meat? Let's let's get that debate going, huh? Sure. And you know what? We're going to cover factory farming because we got a lot. Of, I got a lot of heat because I went off on bullfighting, mm-hmm. and a lot of uh, vegetarians said, "Well, how can you go off on bullfighting and eat meat?" Um, so I'm going to make up for that by doing like a factory farming podcast. Well, that's great. Can I do it too? You can sit in. <laughs> uh, you can uh, tweet to us at uh, SYSK Podcast. You can join us on Facebook.com slash Stuff You Should Know. And you can send us a good old-fashioned email to StuffPodcast at Discovery.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. 